we are not alone. And welcome to another episode of Contact TV. And this is a very special time of year for us of the, of the Irish ancestry. This is a big holiday for us. It's a Celtic New Year coming up, but, uh, what uh, many of you uh, viewers uh, know is All Hallows Eve or Halloween. Mm -hmm. And uh, we are welcoming back actually a gentleman who appeared with us on our first episode of Contact TV when we went to the visual format that we have now. Yes. And, and uh, mm -hmm. we are welcoming back our friend Ahonu, and I just want to say a few words about him. Uh, Ahonu is uh, is an author. He has an amazing book called The Reincarnation of Columbus, which you should all order. And uh, he's also a visionary artist, motivational speaker, spiritual teacher, and radio host of the Honest to God series, who, along with his twin flame wife, Angel Rose, has helped countless people all over the world grow in personal power and self-mastery, through their books, their weekly online Akashic record sessions, their weekly radio shows, and their simple but highly effective Eight Steps to Freedom program. And together, uh, Honu and, and Gail founded, the, founded Holistic Ireland, the World of Empowerment Organization, and the Spirit of Love Project, and most recently, Twin Flames Publishing. And they have combined over 50 years of metaphysical and psychic ex experience throughout the United States and Ireland. They are master tarot readers and authorities on Akashic Records and hold certifications in psychic laser therapy. I've got to ask what that is. I don't know what that is. It sounds incredible. Psychic uh, Kathara healing, soul retrieval, Reiki, and cellular repatterning. And uh, Ohanu has also held workshops in manifesting, self-healing, working with homeopathic color remedies, uh, beginner through advanced tarot, visionary art, and much, much more. And he has a wide range of metaphysical ebooks that you can easily acquire uh, through Amazon on Kindle for the Kindle format. And also please do visit the website, ahonu, A-H-O-N-U dot com for more info. And with all of that being said, we are so happy. Uh, speaking to us directly from Oregon, I believe, today. Yes. Uh, we welcome Oregon. And how are well, you doing, thank you. sir? Welcome. Great. It's great to be back with you again. And, you know, at this time of the year, it's, it's great also to reconnect with, with what you know about Ireland. Because I know what it's like when you're living across the water for so long. Yes. And, and what it's like to reconnect with that ancestry and it's a beautiful thing so it only happens at this time of the year for us but nonetheless it's just so satisfying and it's always great to talk to you well thank you ohonu and of course we are you know very connected and especially you know here in canada uh in our eastern provinces of newfoundland um uh, and uh, i believe uh, um also um other parts pei perhaps nova that's scotia. all that's all ireland nova scotia that is the same land that's where the continent was split so literally, uh, you know, yes. we've got lots of wonderful uh, people of Irish ancestry living on the rock, as we say, in Newfoundland. Uh -huh. And uh, there are dialects of Gaelic spoken in Canada that have been literally extinct in Ireland for right. Right. Uh, generations, probably. Yes, yes. And all of this long before Columbus, too. You know, this is one of the interesting things. And I'm sure we'll get into it, too, as we talk about 
traditions and stories and that. What gets handed down to us is not often true. You know, we think of the discovery of the Americas by Columbus and, and of course, my own book, The Reincarnation of Columbus, in lots of ways is not necessarily about Columbus the character, but nonetheless, I wrote it because it was an anniversary of the, the death of my son 500 years to the day after Columbus supposedly discovered America in 1492. So, you know, th these are all great connections for us to, to talk about, uh, getting into those old stories and getting into those traditions and those cultures and those belief systems. And of course, a lot of that has morphed into religious beliefs now, as you know. Indeed, indeed it has. Ahona, would you say that the contemporary way of celebrating Halloween is a um, is somehow a derivative of, uh, of some old aspects of, of Celtic life or what happened during uh, Samhain and Beltana? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. We would, we would pronounce those as Samhain. It's almost like Samhain, S-A-W-I-N, like Samhain. And we, we call in America, the other uh, is called uh, Beltane, I think they call it. Yeah, Beltane. It's like kind of an anglicized version. And that we pronounce that as Beltana. And that comes from Bale Tina. Tina is fire. And from the, uh, the pagan god Baal. So it's the burning of the fires. Yeah, yeah. So there's all kinds of. In um, God yes, Baal. Yes, Baal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you can see just from that little explanation alone, you can see how corrupt all of this has got. So that now when you talk about Halloween in the United States, for example, I can't speak for Canada, but certainly in the United States, it's all about the six billion dollars that people spend on candy. Apparently, it's the second biggest season after Christmas oh, yeah. in terms of commercialization. And like that aspect of Halloween is not what I connect with. No, it's right. really, it's really new. It's really, really new. Is, uh, yeah. For instance, you know, in my in my grandparents' time, uh, uh, Halloween, the kids, uh, you know, had some very basic costumes, and they used to uh, have bonfires. That was the big yeah. thing. Yes. Was the bonfire? There we go. Uh, part of our tradition. And then they yeah. would yeah. go to people's doors and like throw flour on them, kind of. You can really see it in the movie uh, Meet Me in St. Louis, Vincent Minnelli's wonderful film with Judy oh. Garland. And that they have a whole Halloween sequence that would be very, very typical of how it started, what it was like when it started. Right. But, you know, yeah, when you talk about immigration to the United States and Canada, in lots of ways, that's also where things got a little changed and corrupt. Because even if you were to just take names, a lot of the names that... Uh, our, our traditional, our family names, like, for example, O'Grady, my own last name, uh, and, and other Irish names were not able to be pronounced by the people in Ellis Island, for example. And so they wrote down the phonetic sounding of it. And that's why a lot of people in the United States have have Irish sounding names or Scottish sounding names, but they, they're having difficulty connecting them back to the original, do you know? And that's that's why. But the same thing happened, though, with the likes of traditions and cultures. I mean, a lot of a lot of um, a lot of people would have come from uh, Holland and Belgium and 
Scotland and Ireland to the likes of New England and Newfoundland and various places like that and would have ca brought their traditions with them and cultures with them but also had to merge them with what was already there with Native American cultures and then of course in order to be accepted into certain societies like the, the predominant Protestantism that was there at that point in time had to somehow have a, a festival that was acceptable to all sides you know so things changed such uh, huge uh, ways I, those protestants they don't know how to have a good <laughs> time they, they make you miserable and they figure out how to make money out of it <laughs> that can be said for a lot of other people and i think that's too. what frank mccourt said actually i stole that from yeah <laughs> yeah so yeah. there's the whole yeah. candy but, thing, and then there's the whole costume thing. Mm -hmm. uh, one of my yeah. nieces, one of my nieces yeah. throws an all-night party every Halloween. Right. All night, all, wow! All night, yeah. and she wow. has over a hundred people and police regularly go by. Nothing happens. They know about it. Right. And that's yeah. her take on Halloween. That's the one time of year yeah. when she feels she'd be someone different. Mm -hmm. Well, now isn't that interesting? Because you know that whole costume thing, and I know especially in our area here, but I've seen it in other states around the United States where we've lived. It's completely taken out of context. It's completely taken out of its, its original meaning. And the reason is because a lot of times religions don't like the idea of black magic or of um, Satanism or uh, uh, not even Satanism, but um, the dead. They don't like to speak about the dead. And that is so different to the original context. And I'll get to the costumes in a second. But in the original, as you know, that Celtic festival of Samhain was where people wore costumes to ward off the dead. Uh, because at that time of the year, you just have to consider that when we come into the 31st of October and the 1st of November, you're talking about the end of summer and the beginning of winter. So it's, it's likened, it's superimposed upon the human existence that it's the death of all that was good and you're now moving into the underworld and you're moving into darkness and the sun is gone and for another six months. So you're into the time of the dead and it was also the time when the veil between the worlds was at its thinnest and because of that you had a lot of people who you had the living who were able to communicate with the dead during that period of time but you also had the dead who were communicating with the living so there was this crossover that went on you see now the thinning of the veils and that was also the time when if somebody was going home in the dark for example or after being in the fields or at work or whatever they would dress up as a, a ghoul or a ghost so that the ghouls and the ghost would think that this was one of their own and wouldn't touch them. So this is... <laughs> that's the origin. That's the origin of the... That's it, huh? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> what about yeah. Donald Trump lookalikes? What do they get? Yeah, really? <laughs> Don't go there. He's one of us. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Oh yeah, so, so... Well, that is, yeah. you know, that's... that's that's fascinating, I think, and and you know, Ahona, when you look um, a little bit at uh, other, of course, as you mentioned, there are many cultures that have a kind of a, a a festival and are aware, I think, of the thinning of the veil. I think it's yeah. a real yes. thing that, that actually is is true in that sense. And of course, uh, yes. in Oregon, maybe even you have people celebrating uh, Dia de los Muertos, 
the Day of the Dead, which happens a little right. bit later, usually a little bit into November, but they dress to mock death. They wear costumes to say, you know, the hell with you, death. You're, you're, you're nothing. I'm, I, you know, yeah. they, they, yeah. They, yeah. They, they mock death. In fact, I just heard on the radio this morning uh, a fact that surprised me, and that in, in North Korea, they actually bring in wooden coffins into their homes and their offices. And for 10 full minutes, they lie in the coffin with the lid on purely to cheat death or to, to eliminate the fear of death that they have. And it's done at this time of the year. So it's interesting that, yeah, I'd never heard that before. But it's interesting that that same cultural um, similarity or, or dealing with death is the same all over the world. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it is yeah. indeed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Speaking of funny factoids, I've been waiting to tell this to you all day, and you too, and you too, Wes. Um, this was actually in some of my readings, but uh, you know that every, pretty much every Christian uh, sect from you know the Catholics and the Anglicans and and mm -hmm. such have some form of communion, you know, meaning, you know, yep. eating some bread and some wine. You, know, you go down south to the Baptists and they've got a saltine cracker and some Welch's grape juice. That's what's going on down there. But anyway, uh, that very ceremony, which we as Catholics and Anglicans are always told represents the Last Supper of Christ, has nothing to do with the Last Supper of Christ. There was a, a very sacred rite to Osiris in ancient Egypt, where the um, the worshippers would come to the priests and they made these flat wafers that represented body parts of Osiris, and so wow. you would ingest the body part of Osiris and therefore be carrying part of the god within you. So this, this idea of 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 almost a, I mean, it's almost a cannibalistic, this idea it used to always yes. bother me as a kid that the host sure. transforms into flesh. I don't think they yes. focus on that anymore, but that's the kernel of the idea, and it has nothing to do with Christianity, nothing to do with the Last Supper. It is a retooled rite of Osiris. But, you know, without getting into religion bashing, uh, and, and I'm saying this because I'm coming from Holy Catholic Ireland, where I was an altar boy and I was going to be a priest and all those kinds of things. Right. So, uh, you know, I've had it up to here with, with that religious indoctrination. But you are right when you talk about eating the body of Christ. I mean, how gross is that as even as a, as a concept to a child? And then I can remember also not only battling with that and trying to deal with it in my head, but also I'd look up. At, on the walls of the church and you'd see this man hanging on a cross with blood pouring out his palms and blood pouring out from across where a crown of thorns was put on his head and blood pouring out from his heart and like I just thought this is a place of torture this 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 absolutely outrageous the sacred heart that would be external you know that yes. always used to bother me but, you know, uh -huh. this idea that, and I, and I remember way back when, I don't think this is true now, but it was always a mandate that you couldn't chew the host. You, it, it I, I remember. To, it had to either dissolve or you know, whatever, yeah. because, because, of course, it was going to transform, transfigure into yes. a piece of Christ's flesh. So, All right. good old Osiris. We can thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, de I'm delighted to hear that because 
I didn't know about that uh, Osiris connection, but certainly it makes sense because a lot of these things are all handed down through traditions. And we found coming from Ireland how a lot of these things were changed on us too. So originally the Celtic festival of Samhain was, was tr the, the uh, Christianity tried to change it. So Pope Gregory, I think it was, Gregory III, he designated November 1st as All Saints Day. And the whole idea there was to take the attention off the dead and to try and put it on this Christian idea that, oh, it's all about saints, you know, don't be focusing on the... And there's some merit to that and all. But then, uh, I'm not sure who it was that came along, um, some Christianity anyway, I think it was in the year 1000 AD, they came along and they designated that the 2nd of November was going to be All Souls Day, you see. And to take the emphasis off the original evening of All Hallows, which was the um, connection between the living and the dead, the death of the summertime and, or, and the moving into the wintertime, the death of the human body, the connection between the living and the dead, and the thinning of the veils that we talked about earlier. So they wanted to take the emphasis away from all of that and move it on to this idea of the Christ soul and the all saints. And, you know, it, did, it didn't work. It didn't work. It, it, it has worked to a degree, but it didn't work in the sense that what they had to do was they had to incorporate a lot of those traditions into the new belief system we've seen that with the coming of saint patrick for example in 432 a lot of the uh, traditions had to be incorporated into christianity because why they couldn't get rid of them you know they just <laughs> yeah poor old saint yeah, patrick you know it, poor old saint patrick became the poster boy for the catholic church 500 years after the poor man was dead his entire yeah, yeah, conversion yeah. career only involved two yeah. communities, and ironically, they were in Northern Ireland. He was yeah. a yes. penniless guy. He wasn't the bishop. That was all done, That's when, right. you know, posthumously, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, so, yeah. but... Um, yeah. And, and I'll give you an idea, too, of the fires, right? The, the idea, you know, you mentioned bonfires there in the beginning, do you remember? And uh, the, the idea of the... The bonfire, of course, was to light the darkness. I mean, consider that, you know, the days are getting shorter and so on. You're heading into winter and the bonfire was a symbol of the light. And and, and also, as I mentioned earlier about Baal and, and all that. So there's a connection there with fire and the Celtic goddess. But also, interestingly, there's there's a side-by-side -side tradition with the Roman Empire who were also lighting bonfires at the same time. So therefore... When, you, when Christianity come, and coming out of Rome, of course, they had to incorporate the fires as part of that as well. But the, the tradition that I remember, which I thought was amazing, was that everybody put out their own house fires, the, the fires that they would have had in their homes to keep them warm. They put those fires out on the night of the, or the day of the 31st of October. And the reason they did was because they knew that there would be a community fire being lit in the town square or you know the, wherever they gathered so this was a major bonfire symbolizing the light 
but because it was a light, a fire that was being dedicated to the thinning of the veils and the honouring of the dead and the ability to be able to communicate with the dead and the fact that the dead weren't really gone, they were still there, we could still love them and communicate with them and all of that. What people did was they, they took a light from that central community fire and brought it back to their homes and lit their home fires with that community light. So you can see how that then became a, their fires in their own home then became an extension of the community, you know. And, and these are beautiful traditions and uh, they're not carried on very much to this day, but that's where, where the origin of the bonfires was. And of course, then you had the likes of um, uh, Guy Fawkes, you know, he, he, he committed, he carried out that act on the Houses of Parliament. He was that close. He was that close. But he did that, you see, at Halloween. And so the English celebrate that aspect of the fires and the fireworks as being what happened to them in their history at this time of the year. Yeah. They're, they're yeah, big yeah. on that. Um, do you think yeah. at this time now, Hanua, in this um, 31st of October, would there be um, practitioners of indigenous Celtic religions conducting ceremony? Oh, yes, indeed. It's, it's actually been revived. And I find this really interesting because a lot of modern religions and, and you know, the, the technology age that we're in, people miss a lot of what went on in the culture in those ancient times. And now they're returning to it. And a lot of places like the Hill of Tara, for example, and the Hill of Ishnak, they really come to life again at this time of the year. There's people dressed up as Druids and Celts. And oh my God, it's absolutely marvelous. They bring out horses and they, they decorate, they wear, you know, they dress up in their costumes also, but they're doing it for the reasons, the original intention. Not just not just to, you know, who's going to be the spookiest looking for our competition. Do you know what I mean? It's actually dressed up for the real reasons, those traditional reasons. And then they dance around the bonfire and they protect they protect themselves from evil spirits. And this is all part of that tradition. And it's a wonderful thing. And it is growing again in popularity. It always was popular when I was growing up, but now it seems to be coming mainstream, actually. Which, oh, is, which is great. Excellent. I think it's great. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. And would this also be going on, you know, in, 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 in Scotland, in Wales, or have they become so Protestantized that that's less common? And, um, and also, of course, uh, you know, Cornwall, that was, those are all Celtic yeah. people, the yeah. Isle of Man, yeah. you know. That's right. So is, is, yeah. is Ireland really the, uh, the, the torch holder for the return to the indigenous religion? You know, I'm not sure about that. And, I'd, I'd guess, I'm guessing, and I'd venture to say that it's happening all over. And the reason why I'm venturing to say that is because I think that there is a growth of awareness happening all over the world. And that awareness also is going backward in time as well as forward in time. So I think that people are beginning to embrace the, a lot of the uh, thinking and the ideas that were there in the past. Not, not that it's living in the past, but that those people had an awareness of what was going on in the bigger picture that we've lost. And so I think they're bringing a lot of that forward now and also bringing a lot of uh, potential from the future in terms of the ability of the human mind to 
be so creative and godlike that they're starting now to merge that huge potential. And so I'd say that a lot of those um, traditional cultures, the likes of you mentioned the Isle of Man, and also in parts of Normandy and in, in France, you know, they would have had a Celtic uh, origin to them. And, and, and I'd, I'd say that they're also embracing these Celtic festivals in a bigger way. Well, there were yeah. there were Alpine Celts. There are Celt. There were Celts. Uh, they came. Our people maybe originally came from Eastern Europe. In fact, you know, I know Wes has a question here, but I yeah. did want to talk to you in a minute about the Tuatha de Danann in just a moment. Oh, oh fine. Carry on with. So <laughs> I, I, I want to ask you, which is a segue into one of the services you and your partner, your twin flame, yes. offer. Um, I have done tarot or tarot readings over the years, and I have two decks right, right. Uh, behind me there. Um, do you and your partner do a specific reading around this time? Because a lot of people I know do a reading that coincides with special festivals or events right. in their lives. Do you, do you folks do that? No, but I'm going to answer you with something that is going to be a great help to you. And that is that at this time of the year, you know, we mentioned about the thinning of the veils. So traditionally, a lot of sh shamanistic type people uh, matchmakers especially but those also who would do predictive readings especially at this time of the year and the reason was because they could access this part of consciousness where the veil was thin so in terms of tarot reading of course the church outlawed all that and they they demonized tarot and all of that said it was the work of the devil and some but really what what the tarot card was was a stimulant to accessing intuition it was it was a method of accessing parts of their awareness that they wouldn't normally access. And so that's where that tradition comes from. But to answer your question about us, what we do, yeah, uh, Angel Rose spent, I don't know, 15, 20 years reading tarot. But now she, in fact, she's a, she has a book out called Beginning Tarot. You can find it on, you can find it on Amazon, yeah. Uh, yeah, Beginning Tarot. And look for Angel Rose. Let me spell it because it's an awkward spelling. It's the Irish word for angel, but it's spelled A-I-N-G-E-A-L. A-I-N-G-E-A-L. Rose. Angel Rose. And you'll find that book on Amazon. And it's great. And um, But it's, it's great because she's been coming at it from, in a sense, a slightly different perspective ever since she was able to, uh, since she learned to read the Akashic Records. And the Akashic Records, of course, as you know, and I'm sure many of your listeners and viewers would know, it's that veil of knowledge and information that's everywhere. And it, it, in lots of ways, it comes also from the Vedic tradition too, because it's mentioned a lot of times in that tradition. But when she does a tarot reading now, which is not so often, she's drawing from that additional space of consciousness, you see. So she now prefers to do a, a full Akashic record reading as opposed to a tarot reading because in some ways she feels that the tarot is, it's not that it's limited, but that it's, it's, it's connected with using these prompts as cards, as prompts and as ideas. Do you understand? Yeah. 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 Oh, thank you for that. That helps flesh it out um, because I don't use the tarot to do readings. I study the symbols. Right. The symbology is fantastic. Now, that's really where there's a huge amount of potential for people who, who, who are looking for a health diagnosis for themselves or for looking at ideas 
or even in business actually we're finding people more and more people are starting to use it in business to make business decisions and that's really interesting Wow. Yeah, okay. that is that yeah. is, and and uh, I know that um, you know. Of course, there are a number of different tarot decks, certainly um, mm -hmm. because this in arcane information had to be hidden for a long time. Yes. But it's my understanding that the original tarot or the Book of Tho is again coming from ancient Egypt, coming from right. Tho, and that these are you know the images on the cards, the greater arcana, the lesser arcana are are archetypes really and it's almost like we're talking about a Jungian thing here where these right, are right. images that all humanoids can sort of yes. resonate with and it and it and it opens things up to them in a way that doesn't scare them I, I yes. you know I think it's there's something that you can get a person to have a tarot reading a lot more easily than I can get them to have a hypnosis session right I, and I can see why that would be isn't it a strange thing um, but you know there's a friend of ours who was passing through uh, London Airport uh, it was probably about a year ago now but uh, she had a, a deck a, car a tarot deck in her baggage in her, and they they took it away from her the authorities the authorities yeah they took it away from her for some bizarre reason saying that that was something to do with the occult and was you know the work of the devil and you know isn't crazy. It, isn't oh, bloody Anglicans what next <laughs> I know. Now, I wouldn't have believed it. I wouldn't have believed it if it hadn't been a good friend of ours who was completely trustworthy and it happened to her. And I was astonished, astonished. I, I was shocked. Where, where were they seized? The Heathrow. Heathrow or the other one? The, no, oh, no, it was, it was um, the, other, oh, oh, the other airport. Not Heathrow, but the other one. Gatwick? Gatwick, Gatwick, Gatwick. That's the one. They tradition over there. It must have been it a slow a day at Gatwick. <laughs> must have been. Maybe, maybe they what? wanted a tarot reading and she wouldn't give it to them or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's bizarre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A slow day at Gatwick. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh so, Ahanu, now let us uh, let us talk for a moment about the Tuatha Dé Danann, which I believe means the sons of the goddess Danann, and um, how does that ancient pantheon and we touched on this a little bit the ancient pantheon of irish gods which i know includes the god lu and you mentioned yes. all which the phoenician god which was astonishing and and the other pantheons the norse the greek the native american uh the canadian ancient peoples do you think that all of the tales of these evolved godlike beings are based on the same extraterrestrial or angelic visitors visitors well i do and you know doesn't that lend itself so beautifully into your contact program i think i think it's all so fabulous but you are right and this is one of the things that i like about the re returning of these traditions like i mentioned earlier a lot of people don't realize how, actually how far back they go. And I do believe they go back all the way. And when I say all the way, all the way to the seeding of this planet. And there's very good reasons for it. So when you mentioned about uh, Mesopotamia earlier on and uh, the Sumerians, I think that a lot of these traditions come from as far back as that. Because that was where... In a way, you know, when you hear things like the Bible saying, you know, spread your seed all over the earth or whatever, that kind of thing. I do believe that that is where a lot of the earth got 
seeded from and populated from. So when you mentioned the Tuha de Danan, Tuha is, means country or land, and De Danan is of Danu, of the goddess Danu. So this was them bringing their traditions from perhaps Sumeria or wherever, uh, but I think it did, it did originate in that part of the world and became the Celts as they moved and migrated across for various reasons, for weather reasons, for food, for uh, farming their animals, whatever the reasons they, they were migrating, and eventually arrived in Scotland, Wales, the Isle of Man, and Ireland, and parts of the north of France, be, uh, you know, forming what became known as the Celtic tradition, the Celtic race. And then out of that came these festivals like Samhain and Bealtaine and the various other cross-quartered uh, festivals that they have. All of those traditions were, were there honouring those gods, honouring those original festivals at these particular times of the year. Because I think a lot of those times of the year were not just where the veils were thin, but they were also where it facilitated this communication back to those extraterrestrial gods or perhaps even facilitated the landing on earth in much the same way as you might have cape canaveral they can only take off from cape canaveral at certain times of the year uh, under certain conditions you know or else they might have to move to a different place because there's a, a different environment so they can land their spacecraft a lot easier so I, I do agree with you i do think that pantheon is very much the same in all those traditions of course with the names changed but I think it's great to think. I, I, I find a certain reassurance about that, that it's not just some makey-uppy kind of uh, cultural story that we're attaching to. You know, it's not a mythology that we're connecting to and saying, oh, that sounds like a nice story. Uh, you know, maybe I'll tell it to my kids. No, this is actually something that is going back to the origins of humankind. So when we partake in a, in a festival like uh, Samhain at Halloween we're we're celebrating something that's going back to our origins back to the very beginnings of humankind on this planet and I like that I find that reassuring actually yeah, yeah it's, it's I, I continuity. do it's 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 a wonderful it's a wonderful continuity and you know yeah, it yeah. might it might interest you Ahana to know that um uh, you know the um the oldest blood type on earth is O negative, negative RH, O negative is the, is they know that that is ground zero for blood types. They know when the other ones split off or came in. Amazingly, they know these things. But people of Irish descent carry a very high percentage of the O negative grouping, way right, right. above yes. uh, what is normal. And I mean, it's commonly found in only three and a half percent of the world's population. And also 90% of the Basque people who are quite interesting, and of course, red-headed yeah, and yeah. blue-eyed, they must be related to yeah. us. 90% of them have O-negative blood. Plus, they have a language like Gaelic that is uh, right. comprised with um, a lot of Sanskrit. There's a lot of Sanskrit oh. in it, as there is in Gaelic. Now, isn't that interesting? Yes, I, I, I've heard, I've known that growing up, that the Irish language, uh, Gaelic, it's, it's only, it's only origin is sanskrit it, it whereas a lot of the other latin languages have have a descent they're descended from something else in other words is what i'm saying whereas the, the gaelic it comes originally from sanskrit now that's very interesting 
But there's other things you're saying about the red hair. And of course, isn't it interesting that a lot of the Egypt all had red hair? Yes. Yes. Well, you know, that's just, Ohana, you know what has just happened. And of course, all the, the, the Egyptian archaeologists have their, uh, you know, they have their Burkas in a knot because uh, uh, what has been what has been discovered after you know elaborate DNA testing is that the the old kingdom pharaohs of which you know King Tutankhamun would have been one of them are not Egyptian. They are carrying European proto-European DNA markers, which would be closer to to like Eastern Europeans. Yes, and to Egyptians, yes, yes. and this yeah. absolutely flies in the face of, of course, you know, those guys like uh, Dr. Hawass, who who say that yes, the Egyptians built the pyramids by rolling everything on logs, and uh, you know, they did it all yeah. themselves. Well, uh, party line. Party line. He's got the party line, but indeed, now through our through DNA, we now know that the pharaohs, the the, the people who were put into kingship, were put there. They were not. But you know, yeah. I have a couple of things to say about. I have a couple of things to say about that. And you mentioned about Zahi Hawass and, you know, I, I've never had any affinity with him because I knew from the very beginning that he didn't know what he was talking about. Now, why am I saying that? And the reason I'm saying that is because I, I'm actually more, I'm gone past being shocked at this stage at how grown men and women, supposedly educated, can come out with this nonsense to keep us uneducated and keep us stupid. I, I, I'm fascinated by how somebody can continue that old line and not be willing to look at any other possibility. Do you know, I, like, how can somebody be educated or be an adult and not be willing to look at some other side, the other side of the coin? Possession. Some other possession of possibility. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. And therefore, when somebody is willing to open up, and interesting, we're talking about opening up at this time of the year, too, because that's what happens with the thinning of the veils. We open up to other ideas, other possibilities that we can transcend the worlds, that we can pass between the veils and that we have access to all this knowledge instead of the party line that says, hey, you small thing, you do what I say. And when I say jump, you ask how high, you know. And I think that a lot of places around the world, when we do see this kind of revolt and uh, that's happening, um, I, I think in some ways it's, it's an expression of that that says, I want to know more. I want to find out more. I don't want to continue to believe in the limited way that I have been believing up until now. It has suited me. It has been perfect up to now. But I do feel that there's something more. There is something more. And that's what a lot of these ancient peoples had. They had something more. So I'm going to just bring this full circle for a second because you did ask me about the two headed Danan. And, 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 I, and I, I did say that I do believe that they were our ancestors, perhaps from other star systems. And I'm not surprised because when you when you say the uh, the children of Danu or the people of Danu are from the land of Danu, you are talking about an ancient goddess. Which, and when you think of goddess, you are talking about somebody from somewhere else that was revered as a god with superpowers. Now, the Tuatha Danann were also superseded or defeated by the Firbolg. And the Firbolg, Fir is uh, the Irish for uh, man, and Bolg means big or huge. So these were giants. And that's also where you have that place in the north of Ireland called Giant's Causeway. 
Now, it, it is a natural formation in the sense of its, um, its volcanic rock, octagonal-shaped volcanic rocks. But there's a, foot, uh, a footprint there in the rock of a giant. And not only that, but a lot of the stories that we get, and I mentioned about mythology, I believe most mythology is actually true, but we've just, Christianity and various other religions have kind of forced it out to be just storytelling, just nonsense. But in that mythology of the Giant's Causeway, you do have giants stepping across from Northern Ireland into Scotland. Now, how were they able to do that? I think it's 32 miles across. But if you're a giant, that's not going to be any problem to you, you know. Like you're probably just, you may not even be wading. It might be up to your ankles and you're just stepping across the causeway, you know. So it's called Giant's Causeway. And I do believe there's a lot to be said for that. So those giants were extraterrestrials. extraterrestrials. Indeed, Ohanu. In fact, you know, the, the United States, and particularly the American Midwest, it ha is full of burial middens with giant skeletons in them. Yes. Now, there was a great scandal because uh, one of these great mounds was um, uh, some archaeologists from the Smithsonian came uh, around in the 20s, I believe, or 1930s, and they excavated one of these great mounds, in fact, many of them, and the skeletal remains flew so much in the face of the standard, you know, party line, again, about right. Darwinian evolution that yes. uh, the, our, our own um, um, institution burned those skeletons and tried to hide it for more, almost yeah. a complete century. There was a deathbed uh, confession from one of these archaeologists who worked for the Smithsonian a couple of years ago, and he described what happened. But there are many middens that are untouched. That, yeah. And now we can go in with LIDAR. There are all you know, ways of examining these things. But there were giant humanoids in North right. America, certainly, without yes. a doubt. Uh, and yeah. um, I believe they were pretty much ever, even the Bible doesn't, it's it's the Cliff's Notes of what happened, but you know, there was Goliath, right? right? They talk about yeah. him. Um, yes, indeed. Also, yeah. we have yeah. many contemporary or somewhat contemporary writers, let's uh, go back to Poe or H.P. Lovecraft, that masked these things in fantasy. Uh, to avoid yes. persecution, uh, but right, they're right, telling right. the truth. They're transmitting the truth. Mm -hmm. Indeed. Yeah, 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 yeah. And if yeah, you and... go ahead, Hanu, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I, I was going to say because uh, when you mentioned Poe, you you uh, sparked a little thread for me to tell you about. And I, if you don't mind, I'll just pop back to Halloween again with us because when you talk when we talked earlier about the Romans, there's a Roman god called. Pomodo, I think it is, Pomoro or Pomodo, Pomodo. And she was the goddess of uh, fruit trees and, and especially apples, which was where we get the Italian Pomodoro, you see, the, yeah, the apple, right? But how that's connected to Halloween is because that goddess was one that was brought forward into the Celtic tradition through Roman through the Roman um, Empire, the Roman Empire, crossing through Europe and into uh, Britain at the time. And what they used to do was, uh, that was to bless the apples, of course, at this time of the year, this, the season of apples, you know, the fall, right? So uh, then 
how it got connected with Halloween was interesting because with this thinning of the veils that we talked about earlier, a lot of these uh, um, seers and matchmakers would use the apples as a means to find a husband or a wife for somebody. And how they used to do it was if, for example, you put uh, uh, somebody's name on an apple, right, and you immersed it in water, and of course they're all mixed, there's maybe a lot of apples, you know the game that we play at Halloween now where you, and you, bobbing for apples, and you, you, you try and go in, you try and catch hold of one of them with your mouth, whichever one you caught, if that had the guy's name on it, well, you were to be married to that person before the next Halloween came round, you see? Yeah, so that's how uh, they, you, the apple came to be celebrated in the Roman Empire tradition as well as in that ancient Celtic tradition of Samhain. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. my yeah. goodness. So isn't, that together, right? isn't that something? Yeah. Well, you know, the, uh, the Romans were always great at co-opting this and co-opting that. Oh, yeah. I mean, there, there is, a, there is a, sh a shrine, an underground spring in Bath in England which yeah. was uh, rededicated to a Roman goddess, but it was originally a Celtic place of worship. And they just simply combined the two goddesses and just, you know, went on a, a little cross-marketing, rebranding. They didn't care. Opportunists. Right. Yeah, it was better to just... Opportunists. <laughs> Nothing has changed, Wes. <laughs> no. Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. Yeah, yeah. But, you know... I'm go I know you do have to go, but let me tell you a, a, a quick story before we go. And that is about the pumpkin. And I know a lot of people often wonder, and they've asked me too, like where, where does the pumpkin fit in with Halloween? And what's that to do with traditions and so on? And that is a, a, an actual a later addition to the whole Halloween thing. And where that came from was because a guy by the name of Jack was going home. Do you ever hear the story? No, no, no. no, no, no. Jack, story, story. we know. The Jack part, we know. We know the Jack. The Jack, the Jack, okay. the Jack, Jack lantern yeah. So what happened was, Jack, he, he, he was coming home one night, and he met the devil, the, the Prince of Darkness. And of course, it was the 31st of October. And he met the Prince of Darkness by a tree. And, and how Jack got away from him was he convinced the devil to go up a tree for whatever reason how he did it I don't know but he convinced the devil to go up a tree and as soon as the devil was up the tree Jack scribed the sign of the cross on the trunk of the tree so the devil couldn't get down <laughs> now you can see where this was obviously introduced at the time of Christianity right but but let's go with it for a moment so so the devil is stuck up the tree right and Jack is free to go on his way. But the devil kept haunting him, saying, you know, I, look, I'll make a deal with you, right? I'll make a deal with you. And the deal was that uh, Jack would let him down from the tree if the devil promised never to take his soul, right? So sure enough, they made that deal. And with that, you see, Jack reckoned that he could go off and do what he liked because he knew that the devil would make his, never take his soul. So off he went and he lived a high life. He acted like a jerk all his life. You know, he just did, he did everything. <laughs> the devil would never take him. So anyway, at the time of his death, of course, when he, when he died, he, Jack wasn't allowed to go into heaven. <laughs> you see. 
So he, reti- he returned to his, his old friend, the devil, because that was his only alternative. And he said, hey, 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 Satan, you know what? Can you help me out here? You know, we had a deal, right? And what the devil did was he hurled a piece of coal at him from hell, you know, a fiery piece of coal. He hurled it at him. And Jack caught the coal and put it into a lantern, put it into a hollowed out uh, pumpkin. He put it into a hollowed out pumpkin so that he could carry it around to light his way because he was lost in, he was neither in heaven nor in hell. He was lost because the devil couldn't claim him and he wasn't. So in that purgatory place, you know, or that limbo place as it used to be, be. he would go around carrying, he would go around carrying this jack-o'-lantern to light his way. That's where that story is. That's a good one. That is a good one. There's just one other final little story because there's uh, there's another um, side to that story or another um, way that that story came about. And that was that uh, if you were going out on the night of Halloween, there was a danger that your soul would be taken. You see? So if somebody had a pumpkin that was hollowed out with a candle inside it, the candle represented the soul of a living person that had been captured. Wow. Wow. That's why the ghouls are always carrying the, 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 lamp, the pumpkin. Well, there you go. You see? Now, now, before we wrap, Mahano, I know yeah. that you and your twin flame offer many, many services. So perhaps you can take time to tell us about them. Oh, boy. Well, we do. And, you know, we're, we're starting to publish a lot of things for ourselves uh, and for other people. We're just in the process right now of publishing a book called A Year Without Food. And we're publishing this for a gentleman from Israel who is one of the one of very few breatharians that we know in the world. And it's a we know in the world. And And not only do we get to publish it because, you know, we're editing it and proofreading it and all sorts. So we've read it like 20 times. So this is a subject that's really fascinating and starting to grow and grabbing public interest because heretofore people have said that's a medical impossibility. Well, he has proven that it's not. And so that's one of the services that we're offering is publishing. And we're also publishing a lot of our own books, as I mentioned. And we, we, we have written 100 books of answers from the Akashic Records. We've only got thir- 13 published so far. We are in the process slowly rolling out publishing the others. But that is a f- an amazing collection of questions and answers that people have asked us over the years about uh, Akashic Records. And they're usually kind of global questions. What's happening to the world? Or, you know, are aliens real? Or what- whatever. They're, they're, they're not personal questions, in other words, is what I'm saying. You know, they're not, they're not questions like, when am I going to meet my soulmate? And speaking of soulmates, that's another thing we're doing. We are this next week rolling out a course on soulmates. And after we finish that course, we're going to go into Twin Flames. And these both these courses address how to find your Twin Flame, how to tell if you're married to a soulmate or a Twin Flame, how to tell the difference between them and all kinds of other benefits as well. And there's a lot of giveaways that we're giving as part of that. And so th- that's two, they're courses. So we're doing the publishing, we're doing the books, we're doing courses. And uh, another thing that we're doing lately, wh- when you mentioned uh, Halloween and 
it, it sparked me to, to mention it to you, is a manifesting tree, because a lot of people use this time of the year, not only with reading uh, tarot cards, but also for manifesting, because the veils are thin. So we've created, Angela Rose actually is her idea, and I thought it was fantastic, so I jumped right in on it, is to create a series of manifesting trees that people can use to manifest their own desires. So they can use these trees uh, to, you know, meet the love of their life for relationships, grow, build their business. Um, and we've actually used it in a corporation already where they're already manifesting some amazing outlets, um, results, I mean. And how it's used is very simple. It's just an image of a tree, but it's got the roots in it because the roots are what gets the nourishment out of earth. So if you fill in the roots with what's, what you're what you want your new roots to be in other words if it's a relationship then it's going to be um, a deep love um, a deep connection uh, a sense of oneness um, um, combined lights and desires you know all that kind of thing and that manifests into the tree because an apple tree can only bear apples so when it when it manifests into the leaves and into the fruit you, that's where you put your your manifested output so that might be like in the case of a business let's say it, that would be the the services that you offer you know the fruits of my tree are the services and the products that I offer and we've seen this work like magic absolute amazing for people personally and in the business world so that's another thing we're doing is the manifesting tree so if somebody was to connect with us on our website um, angelroseandahanu.com or even just my own ahanu at uh, my ahanu.com ahonu.com you will f find details about that and uh, we will be doing more of that as time goes on because what we're finding is people are saying well can you do us a special uh, manifesting tree for relationships can you do a special manifesting tree for um, for um, uh, getting a, a car or getting a new job or you know, all, multiple different purposes and reasons. And that's also very exciting. And let me think, there's lots more. Um, oh my God, we've, we've got so much, on, we've got so much going on. This what? Uh, healing, uh, you're, you're creating uh, crests, family crests, oh, and, and, yes. and healing the family lines on other sides, on yes. both sides, when you, or if there yes. are two sides yeah. involved. But you're healing yeah. and I am. Now, let me tell you, you a little bit about that, because that's an amazing project. Uh, several years ago, I did a, a family crest for a woman, and the reason is because, no, actually, let me go back a little bit further. Where it happened was, when Angel Rose and I were getting married, my family crest, the O'Grady family crest coming from Ireland, had a Latin inscription on it, as most family crests do. And my one said, vulneratus non victus. And what that means in Latin, it means fallen but not defeated. And she said to me, hey, I don't want to be fallen but not defeated, you know. I, I don't want to buy into that stuff, right? And I began thinking, oh, my God, you are absolutely right. Because when you take when you get married, you take on the collective karma of that family tradition, you know, that family ancestry, you see. And she got me thinking. And I'm saying, well, how can I change that? You know, if I'm coming from a tradition of having fallen, but I'm not defeated, like, you know, I'm struggling somehow. I'm 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 down and people are kicking me, but I'm still not dead. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? I say, how, how do I get out of that? 
And what I realized was I'm going to have to go back and find what my original family crest looked like before any distortion, before any, yeah. And so, you know, thankfully, with our gifts, I was able to go back and tune into this, what, what our family name looked like before any wars, battles, any of that. And I created a new family crest. And since then, my God, bingo. It was almost like clockwork. It was like magic. Speaking of magic and Halloween, I was uncovering relations that we had in distant parts of Canada, distant relations we'd never heard of, coming out of the woodwork, uh, business opportunities happening, you know, things because I had changed the dynamic of what that family name was bringing forward. And so I met this woman. She said, I want one of those. Her life changed. You should have seen her three weeks afterwards. Changed woman, different demeanor, more self-esteem, uh, reconnecting with her children that she had never connected with or had, had, had lost connection with for a long time. And countless stories like that I could tell you. But here's what I'm going to do for you guys. And, I'm, and, and you're just spawning me, sparking me to do this now. If somebody connects to, to me and mentions your show you know that they heard or saw this show i will give them like a, a, a big discount and i mean a big discount these things are normally 495 dollars because it takes me more than a week and sometimes 10 days to actually arrive at the finished family crest and i will do that for your people oh wonderful that's we'll like get the word yeah. we will get the we'll word put that up on our yeah, facebook pages and such so yeah i will right very generous wonderful that's yeah. great yeah. wow this is the ideal interview indeed it? it is <laughs> oh, thank you so much for, for joining very us welcome. today and talking about ireland and mysticism and and i look forward to one of these days when i'm uh, up at newgrange with yourself and Anne gail and perhaps my sister and my brother-in-law kevin and his brother the mushroom lover Martin, oh, and, all <laughs> and all of us and that uh, we can really feel Feel the vibes. Uh, I am of the belief system that those places are actually like portals. That there are yes, reasons they are. They are. for those constructions. They are. They are. Yes. And I think yes. that there was some type of incredible spiritual events that happened there in the past. They aren't simply burial spots. I think that's, that's later. Right. I feel that that's later. Would, would that be accurate, yeah. maybe? I agree with you completely because one of the t times when we were at Newgrange and Angel Rose does this, when you speak about the Akashic Records, she actually can go into the Akashic Records of a place. So there we were at Newgrange and she goes into the Akashic Records of this place. And at the same time, I'm looking at it like with psychic eyes, as it were. And I could see this plume of energy coming out the top of Newgrange. And I actually painted a picture of it. So you could see this plume of energy. And I thought this was really strange because in lots of ways we had been brought up to believe that this, this was a dead place. It was something that was used as a burial chamber thousands of years ago, right? But no, these places are built on ley lines that are still connecting the energy to this day and out of the so then I went and I looked I, like uh, you may or not know but I lived in Egypt for a number of years uh, over three years and worked in and out of it for six years but I, I went and I connected with the pyramids and I could actually see that same energy coming out of the tops of the pyramids yeah so these 
So these sacred places, these sacred mounds, these stone circles, all of these things are connected all around the world through the sacred grid lines. And, and I do think that there's a kind of a... When we talked about those festivals being reactivated, you know, and the people going to the Hill of Tar and those druid ceremonies and all that, that's part of that reactivation. That's part of this growth of awareness. That's part of this reconnecting with our higher selves, with a, an aspect of us that can cross the veil. And, and I think that is, is a beautiful development. So oh, we're, we're fortunate so to all be here right now, aren't we? We yes. are. This is yes. a very, Indeed, we yeah. all chose yeah. to come into the physical plane to help others yeah. with the great transition, the great upgrade. And oh, um, right. is it about time? Oh, yeah. we could go on. Well, oh, I know. every blessing to you and Anne Gale for a, a totally lovely Asawin and everything else that you're doing. We, we really appreciate you speaking with us today and yes. always a joy. Yes. And you. Uh, thank you so much again. Thank you. It's a okay, pleasure. Okay, it's been a divine pleasure. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You have been listening to Ahanu. 